2: We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness.
1: All right. Welcome back to Into the Fray. My name is Aaron, and I'd like to give a big thank you to everyone who's followed me all the way to episode two. All right. So uh, there's a lot of big stories coming out now about individuals who are targeted by writers, public pressure, even by their friends. One of the trends, one of the things that these people seem to have in common is that the incident caught them off guard and they were forced to react. When something happens suddenly and we're unprepared, we have to make immediate decisions based on incomplete information and without sufficient time to really process. We don't have time to consider the facts, to weigh the options, or to play out possible scenarios, the tools that we typically use when making consequential decisions. What we do instead is react. We don't rise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our training. That came from Archilochus, a soldier and philosopher in ancient Greece. I've seen the same sentiment repeated over and over again in self defense and security books and in active shooter training. When we encounter something suddenly, we react. This is why people who approach you at a gas station wanting something approach from a blind spot. It's why that person who ran into you in the parking lot got out and screamed at you as if it was your fault. If they catch you off guard, they know that you're likely to freeze and comply. American society, for all the talk of individuality, reinforces compliance at every turn. Most of it's necessary to have a civil society, but it does come with some unintended consequences. From an early age, we're taught to sit still, wait in line. When we drive, we're taught to park in the lines, drive the speed limit, follow the lights. We're taught to listen to the experts. Don't fix it yourself, call a specialist. If you're sick, do what the doctor says. If you want a good grade, do what the instructor tells you to. This is all fine until you consider that everyone is fallible, and the only person truly responsible for you is you. It's a good idea to do what the doctor says, but there's a reason we've established the second opinion. Teachers, professors, and instructors are hired to convey knowledge, but we've learned, especially of late, that what's taught is often driven more by personal or political motive than by a genuine intent to convey truth or skills. This isn't to say we don't listen to doctors and teachers, but we have to retrain ourselves to think for ourselves. There's no better example of this than the many clips of talking heads reporting on the riots. They stand in front of raging structure fires, people running out of stores with armfuls of loot, and people throwing fireworks and Molotov cocktails at police. And then they tell us it's a mostly peaceful protest. At some point, you realize that you have to think for yourself because letting other people do it for you isn't working out. We have to have laws and conventions to have a civil society. And we have a much, much higher standard of living because we have specialized labor. The unintended consequence, however, is that now we have a population trained to default to compliance. When we fall to the level of our training, we tend to fall to compliance. And there's a part of our population that's learned to capitalize on that. If we're not paying attention, we end up starting from a position of weakness. Growing up, I was taught in church that the best way to avoid temptation is to decide where you stand and what you're going to do ahead of time. As a kid, what are you going to do if a friend shows you porn? As a teenager, what are you going to do if your friends want you to do drugs with them? As a middle-aged adult who hasn't needed to update their resume in 15 years, whose boss tells them to cover up illicit activity in the company, what are you going to do? Now, while you're listening to this calmly, in your car, at your desk, wherever you are, the answers probably seem easy. But anyone who's been there knows that, in the moment, sometimes it isn't. Once the idea has been thought out, when you can consider the available information and weigh the options when it's calm and you can think clearly, then when it comes up, or even something related, you're better equipped to handle yourself. Lately, there have been an unbelievable number of stories coming out of people caught off guard by rioters and leftists. The first story I want to get into goes back to the early days of the George Floyd protests, Uh, I've got a video clip here dated early June 2020. This guy is going around and pretending to be part of the BLM organization, finding white women to intimidate. Now, if you just listen to the way he presents this, I'll call it a request. He sounds very polite. If I got the story correct, this was actually supposed to be satirical to prove a point, but the women he approached didn't know that. Remember, this is taking place at a time when riots and looting just kicked off. We've seen people surrounded by mobs, beaten unconscious, We've seen people targeted for wearing the wrong color hat. And the media narrative has suddenly made a hard switch from you're going to die of COVID to you're a racist and you didn't even know it. So listen to this. I work
0: for Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry that I scared you. But since I work for that company, my CEO has told me to come out today and to bring you on your knees because you have white privilege.
1: So she's been caught completely off guard. You can hear in her voice, she's flustered and she's trying to make sense of conflicts in a situation that just can't be reconciled. These are the kinds of things where if you haven't thought this through, if you don't know where you stand, you're probably going to look back and regret your response. It's nonsensical to try to imagine every possible scenario, what will be demanded of you, but if you know how you're going to respond to sudden demands, you're ahead of the curve rather than behind it. Now, let's see how the rest of this played out.
0: And could you just please apologize for, you know, for your white privilege? Just apologize? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of the right words to say.
1: Now listen to what happens when you don't know how to respond and you don't immediately comply.
0: Excuse me. Are you by any way or in any chance a bigot? You are not a racist. Okay, so then I work for Black Lives Matter, right? I would want you to get on your knees right now when we hit that corner. Because or else, you know, that just shows the bigot, the bigoted nation we live in because of President sorry, Donald Duck. Really but I work for Black Lives Matter. It's, it's my right black. to. I'm, I'm sorry. I- all right. So you're not going to kneel. So you're going to be a racist on camera. Is that what you're saying? Can you me? Just kneel, just kneel, please. Just one time. That's all I ask. Just show solidarity for what happened to to George Foreman. Just please. George Foreman? I mean, Floyd. For Floyd. I know, and I support everything that's happening. But you just can't kneel? No, I'll kneel, but
1: I just don't want you to call on me anymore. Sorry, if
0: you don't gonna... Okay, fine. I respect, but all you have to do is just one, one. Thank you so much.
1: The intimidation factor here is pretty intense. You can clearly tell neither woman wanted to kneel, but in the face of sudden and unexpected intimidation, they both ended up complying. When there's no time to consider the available information and weigh the options, we tend to default to compliance. Years ago, uh, I was driving in heavy traffic and I was coming up to a light where I needed to turn left. As soon as the left turn lane came up, I flipped on my blinker, checked my mirrors, my blind spot, and I moved over. As I did, I made contact with the side of a giant pickup truck. We pulled over and when the other driver got out, he started screaming at me telling me how it was my fault and that I was lucky he was driving a work truck or he'd have held me liable. In that moment, I froze. I was young. I was immature. I was not terribly confident in myself in general. And as my limbic system went into overdrive, I started to really question if it was my fault. He got back in his truck and drove away before I had time to gather myself. Once I had time to think, I looked back at the scene. I thought through what I'd done, what had happened, and I realized that he'd been driving up a soft median illegally to skirt around the long line of traffic that stood between him and the left turn lane. He'd used intimidation and my lack of confidence against me, and it worked. Not that long ago, I ran into a similar situation. I saw a young shirtless guy on a bicycle breaking into an RV across the street, but I wasn't sure if he was actually breaking in or if it was the owner and there was something I didn't know. You have to understand that the RV and the shirtless guy breaking in were both in similar, terrible shape. And it was very plausible that he actually was the owner. He'd opened a side window from the outside and then gone around and entered in through the unlocked driver's door. So I decided I didn't want to call the cops on a burglary in progress unless I was sure that it wasn't the owner. So I walked across the street to talk to him. I could hear him rummaging around in the back of the RV. So I walked to the open window and greeted him. He replied by screaming obscenities at me, trying to scare me off. I knew where I stood, It didn't work. I told him I was a neighbor, I'd seen the RV parked up and down the street for several weeks, and so I was just there to see where he was in from. He calmed down, and then he tried to spin an obvious yarn about the situation, all while looking for a way out of the conversation with the tools he'd just swiped. After the conversation, I said good day to him, I walked away, and I called PD. The difference is knowing where you stand. When you know who you are and where you stand, you can have confidence in yourself. I knew I was in the right, I knew I could handle myself if this guy decided to do anything stupid, and that prevented any kind of emotional reaction to his outburst. Now, this next clip I have for you is ultra cringe. There's a good chance you've seen this one. This is Jimmy Kimmel at the most recent Emmys. If you haven't seen the clip, I highly recommend you look it up. In my opinion, this is the face of a man who is not at all comfortable with what's happening to him and is trying to decide on the fly if it's worth playing along, hoping that he can reclaim his former glory at some point, Or if he should just tell Anthony Anderson to stuff it, and be done with it. He chose... poorly. Listen to how this plays out. Please welcome,
0: nine-time Emmy nominee, Anthony Anderson!
2: All right. Uh, JK, now, before we announce the nominees, you know, I have a few things that, uh, I'd like to say. You do? Yes,
0: I oh. do. Because in rehearsal, I thought we decided that we're just You gonna... know,
2: we have a record number of black Emmy nominees this year, which is great.
1: Did you catch that? This was something that had been cut in rehearsal and wasn't supposed to happen. Kimmel definitely seems like he's not ready for this. Can you hear the panic in his voice? He's not comfortable with what's going on here. All right, let's keep listening.
2: This is the part where the white people start to applaud. Oh, and nod. Oh, thank you, Jimmy.
1: By this point, we have long since crossed the line into inappropriate, and there's no way he doesn't know he's being bullied and taken for a ride. This is the point where you just stop. Stop the music, stop playing along, because if you humor them, this is what happens next. Say it with me, Jimmy. Black Black lives lives matter. matter. Louder, Jimmy. Black Black Lives Lives Matter. Matter.
0: Louder, Jimmy. Say it so that Mike Pence can hear it. Black Black Lives Lives Matter. Matter.
1: Are you cringing yet? I don't even like Jimmy Kimmel and I feel bad for him. All right. So are you likely to find yourself on stage at the Emmys being painted into a corner? Probably not. Could you find yourself being challenged at a family dinner? At work? Out with friends? The point isn't to be ready to Shapiro them into oblivion. You don't even have to really engage with them. That's the beauty of knowing exactly where you stand. You can be comfortable in whatever response you choose, including none at all. But if you don't know where you stand, if you're caught off balance trying to sort it out on the fly, there's a good chance you're going to fall back into compliance because you're not really sure of yourself. I don't know if he would have done it anyway, but had Kimmel known where he stood, he could have responded with something like, no, it's not that I disagree, but I won't be coerced. Certainly not in front of millions of people. It's really unprofessional of you to try to intimidate me here on stage. It's not going to work. You have a card to read. Get on with it. If he'd come out with something like that, I think he would have gained a lot of respect. He got bullied, plain and simple. He got bullied, and it sure looks like he froze and complied. Another incident that came out of the George Floyd riots was a bar owner in Omaha, Nebraska. His name is Jake Gardner, and he was forced to defend his life against multiple assailants. So the mob came, they started to tear his bar up, they were assaulting people outside, and they threw something through the front window of his business. His elderly dad went out and confronted the rioters, and he went out to pull his dad back to safety. In the process, he was jumped by two rioters who he fought off. And then, as he was getting up, a third jumped on him and brought him to the ground in a chokehold. He fought there for 18 seconds before reaching back and shooting his attacker. Now, I want to show you two articles from the same newspaper. So this is from the Omaha World-Herald. Uh, this first one's written by Aliyah Conley and Todd Cooper, and it's titled No Charges Will Be Filed Against Omaha Bar Owner Who Fatally Shot Protester, Don Klein Says. Now, Don Klein is the district attorney in that area. Let's take a look at this article. A surveillance video from Gardner's Bars, played Monday at a press conference, shows a group of young people, including Scurlock, uh the guy who ended up getting shot, approaching Gardner. Walking backward, Gardner lifts his shirt to show a handgun then pulls it to his side and continues backing up. Two people from Skurlock's group, a man and a woman, tackle Gardner, who ends up on his back in a puddle in the street. He fires twice in the air. He characterized them as warning shots in an interview with Omaha police. The two people run away from him. Four seconds after that, Skurlock rushes from the sidewalk and dives on Gardner. Klein said Skurlock was on Gardner's back and had his arm around the bar owner's neck. Gardner could be heard on another bystander's video hollering, Get off me. Get off me. His right arm pinned, Klein says, Gardner switched the gun to his left hand and fired over his shoulder. The bullet hit Skurlock in the shoulder neck area, killing him. Under Nebraska law, a person can be justified in killing another if he has a reasonable belief that deadly force is needed to protect himself or others. Now, there was a group of people, the district attorney, the detectives, and some other people from the district attorney's office, who all got together, watched all the footage, went through all the facts, and they decided that he was clear that this was a justifiable self-defense situation. Uh, Back to the article. No one in the room disagreed with the decision not to file charges, Klein said. This is pretty straightforward stuff. Now, this article was from June 1st, 2020. Now I want to take you to September 18th, 2020. Same newspaper. Once again, Todd Cooper is writing this. And it's titled, Warrant to be Issued for Jake Gardner. Omaha bar owner charged in death of James Skurlock. So let's take a look at this article. A warrant is being issued for the arrest of the former Omaha bar owner who shot a 22-year-old man to death May 30th. A grand jury on Tuesday charged Jake Gardner, 38, with four felonies. Manslaughter, attempted first-degree assault, making terroristic threats, and use of a weapon to commit a felony. The DA knew the incident was completely justified self-defense. Initially, he cleared the case and stated as much. No new evidence came out changing the facts of the case. The only change was pressure from the mob. Intimidation is a powerful thing. It's called an ad populum fallacy, where we accept the false premise that if the majority or a perceived majority believes something, then it must be right. Now, I'm not sure if he succumbed to an ad populum fallacy, or if he was afraid not reversing his decision would result in further riots, or if he was just afraid that the mob would threaten his prospects for re-election. But in the end, he abandoned his principles and caved. There's a hymn I learned in church when I was very young that stuck with me my whole life. Do what is right, let the consequence follow. There's a reason that stories of good triumphing over evil are so universally popular. Not only do we know that it's right and good, we also know it's not easy. Are you clear on what lines you're willing to cross and which ones are a hard stop? Are there things you're willing to walk away from your job over? Your friends? Your state? What are you willing to risk your safety over? Do you have the courage to say, that's wrong and I stand firm against it? In all this, I've been talking about knowing where you stand. Part of that comes from staying informed, but by far, the largest part of that comes from knowing what your values are. What's right and wrong? What's acceptable and unacceptable behavior? Where is the line that you won't cross? If you don't know what values inform your decision-making before they're tested, then in that moment, you'll be making it up on the fly and you'll almost certainly get it wrong. Do you know where your moral boundaries are? What would you do if your boss asked you to write a memorandum on whiteness in your office? or toxic masculinity? What would you do if someone broke into your home right now? What would you do if someone at the store started harassing your spouse? What would you do if you were sitting at a restaurant surrounded by rioters, and one of them came and forcibly sat on your spouse's lap? What would you do? Have you ever asked yourself when you'd be justified using physical violence? What about taking a life? These are not things you wanna have to sort out in the moment. One of the most important parts of knowing where we stand and where our boundaries are is why we're standing there and why those boundaries are set where they are. Let's use freedom of speech as an example. One of the issues I have with Texas v. Johnson, the decision that said flag burning was protected speech, is that it extended the boundaries of protected speech into the realm of protected expression. The First Amendment protects speech because communication and the open exchange of ideas are critical to a free society. But when that decision dropped, it opened those protections to include physical expression. There was no longer a hard line between speech and action. Now we have people blocking freeways, burning structures, and attacking police in the name of expression. Once that hard boundary between speech and action was breached, the floods rushed through. In my opinion, by not examining what protected speech is, why we protect it, and where the boundaries are, the courts created protections that are now used as an excuse to violate freedom of speech. Rioters don't care that they're breaking the law, and local officials often seem unable to tell the difference. Both groups just know that the hard boundary has been breached And they excuse themselves by it. By fabricating freedom of expression and creating space for physical intimidation, the courts broke freedom of speech. So far we've been talking about values and knowing where you stand morally, but there's also a physical safety component to this. Are you prepared to respond appropriately when you or people you care about are threatened? This gets complicated. There's not only a moral side to this, but there's also a legal side. Both have to be duly considered and they're not always compatible. Uh, This next story gets into a whole deeper level of intimidation. I feel pretty confident in saying that most of these people had concerns about their safety. This is an incident that happened at a restaurant in Rochester, New York. And it's one of several stories that I had to choose between. This kind of thing has been happening all over. This is from journalist Cassandra Fairbanks at the Gateway Pundit. And there's just a couple of things I want to read from this. Black Lives Matter rioters in Rochester, New York, terrified diners on Friday night as they barged into restaurants, flipped tables, Threw chairs and screamed at random people. A journalist at the scene tweeted that the protesters in Rochester, New York, are shutting down restaurants. Tables are broken, people running off scared. Here's a clip from that night from Freedom News TV. Let me play this for you. How about them peaceful protests? What would you do if you were sitting in that restaurant? If you didn't find that at least a little bit shocking, you should probably pinch yourself awake right about now. There's shattering glass, people screaming and running. That's some serious harassment. Let's listen to a little bit more of what was happening that night. <laughs> And that wasn't the only restaurant hit that night. Let's go for round two. It's a little difficult to understand what they're saying at first. As they're marching through open air dining, they're chanting, clear this bar, clear this bar, and then if you don't give us our S, we'll shut S down. And then the real party starts. Here we go. This is the lighter stuff. It's about to get a lot darker, but this is the reality we're into now. So I'm just going to jump straight into this next one from Provo, Utah, of all places. This is from KUTV, and it was written by Morgan Saxton. So it says, a video being shared online showed a white SUV stopped by protesters at an intersection, then at least one shot being fired. Officials said a driver in his 60s was shot and taken to the hospital where he underwent surgery. Police say a man driving a white SUV was pulled into the right lane in an attempt to turn onto Center Street, when several protesters began crowding the vehicle. Police said a male protester ran to the passenger side of the SUV, pointed a handgun at the driver, and shot one round through the window. The driver was struck by the bullet and fled the scene. The gunman shot a second round that went through the rear passenger window, according to video obtained by police. The same protester later approached another vehicle at 500 North University Avenue and broke the window with the handgun, police stated in a Facebook post. Once again, I had to limit what I chose out of entirely too many articles about rioters attacking people in their vehicles. What will you do if you find yourself suddenly surrounded by rioters? Have you thought it through? This next one has been a common occurrence as well. I've lost count of how many people I've seen mobbed in their cars. The more unlucky ones get pulled from their vehicles and beaten. Best case scenario? you hope you have comprehensive car insurance to cover the damages. This next clip is a woman trapped in her car, surrounded by rioters who are beating on her car and screaming at her, and she calls 911. We've come to rely on public services for our peace of mind. We're trained from wee little tadpoles that if we have a medical emergency, we call 911. If we're in danger, call 911. These services are critical, and they've improved our lives probably more than we realize. But we can also see just how fast that system we rely on can Become operationally ineffective in this case, it was politics in Fredericksburg, Virginia. This is her 911 call.
0: All right, they're on my car right now, yeah, but we would suggest you slowly drive through the area, don't hit anyone with your vehicle. I, or can't. I city. cannot get out of here, you okay? Have to be patient, but I'll, I'll let the officers know, okay? But are you serious? The, the you city guys told cannot... us that we can't do anything, ma'am. The city told us that this is a sanctioned event. <laughs> My car! You know this is gonna get dangerous. I got a kid here. Yes, ma'am. It was just that you call up City Hall to let them know about your frustrations because we're all very frustrated. Get This is getting scary. I told oh, they're on my car. They're on my car. And I got a little girl in the car crying. Are you kidding me?
1: This stuff is happening. In the case I brought up last week in New York City, it was simply that the cops were overwhelmed with the riots. These systems are designed to handle a baseline call volume. When it hits the fan, the resources have limits. The worst thing to say is, well, that'll never happen here. The truth is, whether it's riots, politics, natural disasters, or some out-of-nowhere black swan event, we've seen ample evidence now that the system we rely on can break down in an evening. So what do we do? Accept the reality and plan accordingly. What do you need and what can you do if emergency services aren't available? We're getting to a point now where this is getting predictable. Louisville locked down ahead of the Breonna Taylor verdict. It's just presumed now that anything that the left doesn't like will be met with riots and violence. And what happened? Two cops were shot and the city rioted all afternoon and all night. In fact, pretty much every major city in the US ignited. I'm refraining from giving specific advice on these incidents because the circumstances of every event are unique and I'd be doing you a disservice to try to present a one-size-fits-all solution. The point of all this is to bring these things to your attention so that you can start to consider them in light of your own circumstances. The last one I want to play for you brings up both the topics of safety and morality. I really believe we have a moral obligation to stand up against these violent mobs. That doesn't mean we go fight them in the streets. I hope this doesn't escalate to that point. But we have to put pressure on political leadership to empower law enforcement on this. The laws to deal with this are in place. The law enforcement to deal with this was in place until they started defunding them and before we saw over a thousand officers out nationwide from injury and death. Yeah, they're being killed. And don't go hanging this around Trump or the feds. The breakdown here is at the local and state levels. Mayors and governors across the country have been empowering and emboldening these mobs with what accounts to criminal negligence at best, and in some cases, likely sedition. When we didn't shut this down at its inception, The organizers got bolder. They've been going into the suburbs, threatening people in their homes, attacking homes with fireworks, bricks, bullets in some cases, and fire. I'm going to play a part of a press briefing that took place the day after a riot in Richmond, Virginia. To put this into perspective, the day before, there was a flyer that circulated on social media calling for Black Lives Matter to go into the suburbs and, quote, take what's ours. It ends with a fire emoji. It really seemed like most people dismissed this as a hoax, but listen to this.
2: We've noticed on many occasions that those that started out along amongst the, uh, the peaceful protest, once it turns violent, they are immediately leaving the area, but oftentimes uh, still being assaulted and, and battered. And again, there's, a, there's one incident I think is particularly poignant that truly illustrates the... Um, the seriousness of the issues that we're facing. Uh, The mayor mentioned this. Last night, protesters intentionally set a fire to an occupied building on Broad Street. This is not the only occupied building that has been set fire to over the last two days, but they prohibited us from getting on scene. We had to force our way to make a clear path for the fire department. Protesters intercepted that fire apparatus several blocks away with vehicles and block that fire department's access to the structure fire. Inside that home was a child. Officers were able to... Good time. Officers were able to help those people out of the house. We were able to get the fire department there safely. Um, Sorry.
1: This is real. These are real people with real lives who are really having their homes burned and the lives of their children threatened. This is not off in some faraway third world country. This is here. Most of the examples I've pulled are not one-offs. They're examples of a type. A lot of these I've had to choose from one of three, five, a dozen stories. These writers and organizers are coming from all over the country to incite violence and destruction. When you look at the news and ask, how can these people do this to their own community? Oftentimes they're not. Tim Poole is a journalist who used to cover conflict and crisis all over the world, and he said that any time he headed off to another riot in the U.S., there would be two types of people on the plane—journalists and what he called riot tourists. Listen to the rest of this brief.
2: As the mayor said, this isn't Richmond. And it truly is not Richmond. It's not even Virginia. It's not even the mid-Atlantic. We have intelligence that we're working on presently so that we hope to be able to file charges following up from this. We have people from across the country who have traveled many states to be here. We know that this is an organized effort. We're committed to try and identify those that are behind it. And we're doing our very level best to arrest those that are perpetrating the violence on our community, our city, and our citizens. So, with that, I'll I'll turn it back over to you, Mr. Mayor.
1: Preparedness gives you peace of mind when the grocery stores are swamped and there's no toilet paper to be had. It allows you to leave a bad work environment without fearing that you won't be able to feed your family. It sets you up with a place to go if you have to leave unexpectedly, And it allows you to get out of a hot area without getting jammed up on the same roads everyone else is panic-fleeing on. It means when you're driving home and you roll up on an unexpected mob, you already know what you need to do to get out. And it means you know what you're going to do if they come to your neighborhood or your home. You have to know where you stand before anything happens. You have to know what your values are and what principles guide your decision-making. You have to know where your boundaries are and what you're going to do if they're crossed. And you have to know where, exactly, that line in the sand is drawn, the one you're not willing to cross under any circumstances. I think the reaction to the Brianna Taylor decision should serve as a warning. I don't think there's any way this election can turn out that doesn't spark the biggest, most widespread riots yet. If Biden wins, they're going to press the advantage and push him to bend to their demands. If Trump wins, well, we've already seen what happens when the mob isn't happy with something. All right, I'm going to call it here. I hope this gives you some food for thought. You can find me on Twitter and Parler at RealIntoTheFray, and if you like this podcast, if you think there's some value in what I do, then do me a favor and share it with your friends and family. I'll be back again next week with a deep dive into the Kyle Rittenhouse situation. If you've only been listening to mainstream media sources, then I can pretty well guarantee you haven't been told the whole story. Till then, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid.
0: Right, they're on my car right now. But we would suggest you slowly drive through the area. Don't hit anyone with your vehicle. I cannot. I you. cannot get out of here. Okay. To be patient, but I'll, I'll let the officers know. Okay. But are you serious? The you guys told us that We can't do anything, ma'am. <laughs>